The man of will breaks all boundaries. As above, so below. Magic of come to realize is a new way of seeing our own world. Something divine truly does exist. You're listening to the Culture Shock podcast with your host, Dave Escuro. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Culture Shock podcast. I'm your host, Dave. My guest today is a cultist and musician, Angelica Cavesey. Angelica and I had an amazing conversation, and not only talking about her music, which she has a new album out called Sandophone, which is available on Spotify, and a music video called I'm Not Your Type, which for her, as you'll listen to, was a way of sort of expressing herself in a manner that um, is very relatable for many people struggling with body issues and their role in society and their role in relationships, um, their role potentially as a person of color and in genres that are typically dominated by white folks. And and we touch on all these topics and, and how they related to her music and her musical expression. These are the kind of conversations that I really... I really get excited about uh, not only having but sharing because to me the people whom I tend to gravitate towards are folks who take their personal experiences and their spiritual beliefs and they find a way to meld them into something that is either tangible or uh, receivable and enjoyable in the form of music or art or film or whatever it may be and they use art as a sort of a weapon to uh Sometimes often slay demons or, or combat things that they struggle with or sometimes as a life vest so that other people may find salvation in their artwork. We've all heard the term music literally saved my life and Angelica references that in our conversation. And I think that the truth uh, and, I, and I think it's admirable that she is trying to offer that same lifeline to others. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. I feel that so much of what we talked about was is incredibly relevant and important. And without further ado, my guest today, musician Angelica Casey. I always found cursing to be a weird thing because we are all, we, most of us grew up with some sort of like religious background of some sort. Yeah. That dictates what our morality is to some degree, um, which we shed over time. And one of those things is cursing. And I never understood it because parents curse all the time and and my parents would curse in spanish as though that was like if it's in a different (laughs) language it's somehow it's okay right (laughs) and i and i could i could certainly understand the 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 um, the the lesson of knowing when when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate but i never understood why these words were so crass or inappropriate and, and and especially as a kid like why those are the words that you can't say, like you can't say hell, but you could say heck, even though it me- the intent is the same. Yeah, yeah. Or like fudge versus the F-bomb. Fuck, it sounds so similar. So whenever you hear a kid say like, oh, that's fudged up. You're like, wait, hold on a second. Did you just curse? Oh, no, you didn't. So it's okay. But yeah. they have the same exact intent. It almost sounds exactly the same. And you right. wonder, how did this word come about? Why is it so wrong you know quote quote unquote wrong and the funniest thing about cursing to me now that um i know my husband he's french canadian and all Mm. of their curse words are like religious words like tabernacle they say tabernacle it's like a a french curse word and it just means tabernacle and i'm like how is tabernacle so how is that a curse word how does that make sense or like they'll say callis which is a curse word and it just means i think like it's some sort of um 
I think it's that incense burner that they use in the Catholic church. Yeah. And it's a curse word. And I'm like, yo, that's at least their curse words make more sense to me than like the word fuck. I have no idea where that word came from, but I did hear um, a theory that it had something to do with like a, like the arrows or something like that. Whenever I've heard that, mm-hmm. yeah, like pluck you, and then it turned into fuck you. So it's really interesting. Yeah, I've heard that one. I've also heard uh, that a lot of the the um, English terms that we consider curse words are Anglican versions of uh, like old Anglican versions of other words. So, for example, shit would have been derived from something that would have meant dirt. Right. Got or it. or fuck would have been something that was been derived from um I don't remember it was sleep or something. But like like when the when the norms came over from France and conquered England, that they would have found words that were associated with the older, more indigenous language to be crass and, and inappropriate and therefore that over time I don't know if that's accurate because right. when it comes to these kind of things, there's so many urban legends and yeah. stuff you read on the internet that you can't believe. But um it's like the game of telephone. It's like it passes down over time and it continues to change. And before you know it, you have no idea why it means what it means. It just simply does. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Things get just get watered down to some degree and, and the meanings get watered down. So it's really hard to pinpoint and track back to what was the reasoning behind this and is it relevant anymore? Right. Right. You know, like to me, kids are going to first and foremost, if you're if you're an adult cursing in front of kids, they're going to learn to curse. <laughs> Like it's like to be honest I think that it's kind of fun. I think that's why I curse because to me cursing is funny. It kind of yeah. like it's lighthearted. It amplifies the joke or it amplifies whatever you're trying to say. So I have a niece when Ever she's around me, I encourage her to say whatever she wants and it's so funny to listen to how she formulates the curse words and like how she places it in her sentence and I'm like wow it makes so much sense she knows how to curse really good and it entertains me (laughs) I love it (laughs) when I think in in modern vernacular it's it's emphasis like you said like it it, it adds something to the sentence I mean certainly obviously it can be used in an accusatory or sort of a direct manner but most often when we throw it in, it's just to add a little oomph. It's a little like flair. Yeah. It's like a working class flair. It you is. Know? It's a little seasoning. It's some salt. Yeah. You put a little bit yeah. of salt on it. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, because people who tend to curse often tend to be more working class, there seems to be a little bit of bias against that. And like, sure, you know, it's like the, we talk proper, this is the way proper people talk. And this is the way, you know, rural or working class folks talk. And that's bad because of that only. And this is good because it's more high society. Yeah, it makes sense because I remember my mom used to say that cursing, whenever I would curse, she would say, don't curse, find a different word. Cursing means that you lack vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And so I would always think about that whenever I would just use the word, because fuck can mean so many things. So you don't have to have, yeah, you don't have to have a broad vocabulary. You just put a little bit of salt in there, put a little bit of fuck, a little bit of shit, some damn, some goddamn, yeah. and you don't have to think <laughs> so hard. <laughs> so it does it's, make it's sense. A, yeah, it's a proper word stew, you know? Absolutely. Got a little bit of yeah. a word gumbo going on. <laughs> I I had this conversation a little while back where there's always pressure, especially doing this like a podcast like this, right? There's always pressure to talk in a way 
that presents you as intelligent and thoughtful and insightful and all these things, right? That's what mm-hmm. you, you hope for. And and then when I first started doing this, it was this effort to use words that were not in my normal, like, you know, pattern of, of speaking, you know, weren't in my normal vernacular and try mm-hmm. to use larger words that I was comfortable with. And I still just sometimes do that. And um, when because I edit all these, um, I go back and I hear, hear my pronunciations. I hear... Uh, when I stumble, when I when I'm when I'm stuttering on something, I'm. It's almost always because I'm trying to speak in a manner that is not the way I naturally would. Uh-huh. It's the way I think I should. And I honestly, I, I find that if you use language that is comfortable to you, and you can find interesting and creative ways to do it, it doesn't matter if you're in your toolbox, you've got a hundred words or five hundred thousand words. Those hundred words can be as colorful, as unique, as interesting as the 500,000 words, if they're natural to you and you know how to implement them in a way that it makes your message more unique. Absolutely. I think about that often whenever I'm hearing like the new slang terms and <laughs> it makes me feel a little bit old to say the new slang terms, but oh, I know. Some- <laughs> sometimes I'll hear something and I'm like, oh, that is so creative or that's so fun. And I want to find a way or an opportunity to be able to say that, like saying period, like for yeah. whatever reason, the way that people use that word, it's obviously changed it's more of an amplifier and it's like i want to put that t on the end of period that makes me feel fun that makes me feel i don't know young again or something like that so with with cursing with slang with all those things i i couldn't agree with you more in terms of like it doesn't matter how many words you use how big those words are how familiar they are to other people just mean it. If you mean it, the meaning will come through. It'll translate well and it'll just be fun. And you can just, instead of overthinking, especially doing something like a podcast where it's Mm -hmm. like, there's nothing else there. There's just you speaking, whatever you say, it has to translate. So I think the best way to go about that, at least for me in this experience, because this is my very first time on a podcast. Thank you so much (laughs) once again. Um, It's yeah. I I was telling myself yesterday, it's like, just be yourself, relax. You're fine. You'll be okay. (laughs) Well, and and, and in the end, communication is tied directly and is a storytelling, right? Whether we're saying something, mundane or whether we're actually doing what we traditionally think of as a storytell you know storytelling uh that's all it is mm-hmm. right and just like anything else you can use you, you can use those spices as we referred to earlier to like really amplify or or recede your story's intensity as it needs to occur and as a musician you're doing storytelling right you're doing communication both both musically and vocally and that's so that's true isn't it Right, right. So like, you know, some songs may have lots of curse words or may have lots of or screaming or singing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and just like you would modulate your voice, right, when we're in the types of language that we use, and, and including new slang terms that come become developed. And thank God for Urban Dictionary, because half the time, I don't know what they <laughs> even mean until like six months after they're like out of fad. But yeah, but same, but anyone who's who has a, a talent or a proclivity towards storytelling, in any manner, I think, can appreciate conversations about the types of language. And I'm assuming uh, you just had an album come out very recently. And I'm mm-hmm. assuming when you went to go write your lyrics, these kind of thoughts must enter that process to some degree. Sure. For me, whenever I start to write a song, 
I just kind of try to think in terms of like, how would I say this? Because I've never had to put it in words before, but whenever I write, I allow the song to write itself. Like I don't Mm -hmm. try to box it into a story just yet. I allow it to kind of express itself. And then sometimes I'll go back and I'll think, what the fuck was I talking about? Or who was I talking about? Or how did that come about? Like the, the song, um, the single that's out right now with the music video, it's called I'm not your type. And it's so funny because a few people have told me like jokingly, like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean by you're not, who, who are you talking about? And honestly, when I wrote that song, I wasn't necessarily writing from the point of view that I have about myself mm-hmm. now. It's more, it's more, I guess, ambiguous. It's kind of bigger than that. It's more like, what is someone's type? Like, you don't, like, especially being a, a, a person of color that's alternative, that doesn't really fit into any sort of box. Mm-hmm. I think it couldn't be more true. It's, it's hard to be someone's type when you're different. You yeah. know what I mean? And when I went to write that song, I didn't think like, okay, I think that I'm gross and unattractive. I'm going to write a song about being gross and unattractive. <laughs> it was more like the the lyrics just came to me and I just kind of went with it and I allowed the song to express itself. And then eventually it just made sense. And I don't know if that's how everybody's process works, but that's definitely how mine's does. <laughs> Well, I think that you can, so I, I used to play in bands and uh, I was never the singer, I was the bass player, but I often played, I, have to, I often wrote lyrics uh, because mm-hmm. I, I guess I had a talent for that. And um, kind of similarly to you, like I would often write for a stream of conscious. I would never go into it with an idea. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I that's still my, that's still my creative process. Like I, even when I do these podcasts, I will have like a handful of like bullet points mm-hmm. of things that I know that my guests are doing or involved in or whatever that I should just, you know, remember to get to at some point. Um, but I'm very much in the camp of like be stream of consciousness. Cause that's to me where the magic comes out. That's where the subconscious comes out. And, um, and you know, not like I'm at a point in my life where if I wrote lyrics, I would probably not write lyrics about being sad over a girl. Cause I'm, I'm happily <laughs> married and I'm long past that point in my life. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean to your point that you might not find yourself if the music inspires you to tap into a point in your life you know, back down the line or maybe, in, or, or maybe down the line um, and, and tell a story from that perspective, but with a little bit of your current perspective mixed in. Absolutely. And that is kind of where I'm at with, um, what, because this is my very first music video. So having to watch myself do something on screen is very interesting and listening to the lyrics, watching myself and kind of being like an onlooker to my own process and also trying to decipher it. Although I was the one that created it is mm-hmm. it's so wild to me and it's really enjoyable. Um, but it's also kind of, it's kind of scary because it's yeah. like, whoa, like even I'm, interpreting this in so many different ways and that makes me wonder okay how are other people interpreting this and if I'm not careful then I can start to get a little self-conscious and overthink Mm -hmm. about it and wonder well I hope nobody misinterprets the message and this and that and so I guess a part of creating anything is like once you give birth to it you have to just let it exist as it is it's like make it's like if you had a kid, like, sure, it's your kid, but now that kid has a life of its own and you just have right. to sit back and watch it grow and see what it's going to do. 
Yeah, it's funny. So I'm a, I'm a filmmaker by trade, and, and there's a saying in filmmaking that's the, the story essentially has three parts. There's three stories within any one movie. Mm. There's a story that you write, and that's the creation page, right? That's you in the room creating your idea for this music video, for example. There's the story that you film, because inevitably there are things that come up that aren't you know, perfectly in your mind that are you know, based on the situation and what you get filmed is maybe a little bit different from what you intended in, in the, in your imagination only. Mm-hmm. And then there's the part that you edit. Right. And I, I've always held that there's a fourth part, which is the part that the audience sees. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what's in your mind in the beginning when it's literally you in a room and a piece of paper or a laptop, it can be as expansive as you want it to be. The part that you film, or if you're writing a song, the part that you write is going to have natural limitations based on environment, money, time, skill, whatever it may be, but it will, it will find itself. The part that you edit is where you really get to refine that, you know, the take where you're on the stairs versus the take where you're on the street and you decide which one is the better fit. That, Mm -hmm. that, that hopefully that part comes a little closer to what you imagined in your room, Uh but with all, with all the unexpected magic of what, what the limitations provided. And then the part that you have almost no control over, and this is the part you just alluded to, is the part that the audience sees. <laughs> yeah. And in their mind, uh, free of any of your own thoughts or explanations, they're going to formulate their own opinion on what they viewed. Uh-huh. I, had a, I had a creative writing teacher who once told me, um, you're not going to be in the room to explain your story to anyone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs> totally. So, so you got you to do what you can to put your creative message as wholly as you can into your piece of art and then you you let it go into the world it's like a thought form like you put uh-huh. your intent and your energy in and then you let it do its thing and it will do what it does hopefully in the way that you want it to yeah that's all you can really do is just hope and i know that when when i went into writing the song I wrote this song, I think in like June or July, it just kind of came to me. I was having a conversation with a friend and we were just kind of talking about um, like just being women of color and how we're different and how we're in these interracial relationships and how, you know, well, that's a whole different rabbit hole Mm -hmm. to dive deep into. But um, yeah, just kind of feeling like you're, 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 you can be hot, but you could still not be anyone's type. Like no one describes me when they're describing somebody that that is, yeah. you know, their ideal partner. And um, and that's that's a broad thing. Like, and this is kind of a side note, but I've been dealing a lot lately, at least in the last year, I've mm-hmm. been dealing a lot with um, finding my own identity outside of my relationship. And I've find that this is kind of a thing that a lot of women want to explore and a lot of women think about and go through where it's like you don't want to be reduced to just the partner of your partner you Mm -hmm. kind of want to be your own person with your own you know like everybody still wants to feel um like an independent individual attractive person regardless of how in love they are with their partner i think I, i don't i don't know if I'm just going through this because, uh, you know, I've, I've, my husband and I, we've known each other for eight years. We've dated for eight years. We've been married for almost five. And I think maybe with that amount of time, it's kind of like you kind of grow and you evolve. And I'm so different from the girl that I was like three years ago, let alone six, let alone eight. So it's like having the room to explore 
the new elements of my personality, my fitness journey, my online persona, all these things. It's kind of like you want to, I don't know, explore what's still out there, not in a way that's disrespectful to whoever you're with, but in a way that honors who you are and how you want to feel about yourself or how you want to, I don't know, feel about the world around you, something like that. This is... I'm rambling at this. No, point. no, not at all. I, I, I relate to it. I mean, I'm a, obviously I'm not a woman, but I've been in interracial relationships, um, both of my marriages, my previous and my current. Mm-hmm. There was I was not with a, a Latin person. Um, and what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. So my mom used to say something to me when I was young, and and she said that relationships, you have to think of it like a flower, like a pot, like a flower pot, and mm-hmm. each person has to put water in it from a separate cup, mm-hmm. right? And, and the whole of the two parts will then form the flower, right? That's the relationship. But if you're pouring from the same cup, you, you're, you're losing something mm-hmm. there. Each person has to have their own unique personality, their own unique interests that are separate from one another so that when you combine the two, you get something greater, right? Or, or at least more unique. And um, mm-hmm. in my previous marriage, I felt that I contracted a lot of my personality to sort of fit my partner. Um, if if you get to know me, I mean, if you just look at me on social media, I'm a, a eclectic person to say the least. <laughs> I'm I'm into a lot of things that some people, more secular people, would would think is sort of silly. Um, I'm very whimsical. I'm very much into like, you know, I'm a creative person. I, I work in film. Like I like stuff like Ren Fair, and I love stuff like music and going to shows, and I love getting dressed up for no reason, and I like mm-hmm. you know all those things. And for more practical folks or practically minded folks that mm-hmm. would be weird or strange or you're too old for that right right so when that relationship was winding down what i found myself was like you know being able to step back and look at who i was and i didn't dislike who i was but i i, I felt like i was very limited i was i was the version of myself i thought i should be not yeah. the version of myself that i really wanted to be and so when i stepped out of that relationship and then spent some time alone and then eventually met my wife who is, who is far more encouraging of me being as weird as possible because she's also (laughs) as weird as possible. Um, I found myself not so dissimilar from who I was previously, but with so much more, like so much more. Right. And um, you need that space, I think, to, to grow as a person and to, you know, push the limits of what your personality allows and I think that only adds to the relationship. You know, when you have that own space yeah. to like breathe a little bit, even if your partner, you know, isn't quite into the same things, mm-hmm. having the room to have that, then in my experience at least, then allows you to to strengthen the, the relationship with, with the two people, right? Because you're, you're yeah. bringing different conversations at minimum, right? You could talk about, you know, music or whatever, or, or witchcraft or whatever, and you could talk about those things. And even if they're not 100% into that, it's a new, fresh conversation. Yes. And fresh conversations and really long relationships. Oh, man. Like, it's it's funny that you're saying everything that you're saying because I was also married before my mm-hmm. current relationship. And I had gotten married fresh out of, not high school, because I actually dropped out of high school, but I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And the reason I married my ex-husband was because we were both Christians and we wanted to 
be adult people and do adult <laughs> things. And the right. only way to do that without feeling like we were going to go straight to hell was to get married. And this, we were not ready. We were young, we were dumb, um, but we just wanted to like be around each other and basically have sex. So we're like, okay, look, let's not go to hell. Let's go ahead <laughs> and go down to this. We literally went to um, the courthouse. Uh, I had bought my dress from the mall <laughs> oh my gosh it was such a ratchet wedding it was absolutely ratchet we got married up in napa uh napa county in northern california and uh we were married for like i think three and a half years and basically that relationship oh man let's not even go there it was so horrible because <laughs> like i said i was 19 and we were young and stupid people um but his parents were um like pastors or ex-pastors and uh, I was super Christian. And when I say super Christian, I mean, like, soup, like I should have worn like a cape, like I was a super Christian, like I went around, like, <laughs> trying to preach to everybody, I didn't want anyone to go to hell. And that's all I thought about. I'm like, yo, like, you're cool. You don't want to go to hell, right? Like, let's go to church together. Um, and so when when I finally left that relationship, I, I, honestly, I, I met Alex immediately afterwards, I moved back down to Los Angeles from Sacramento and we met and we became best friends and we were literally by one another's side like every day thereafter. And so now as I'm 32, I'm turning 33 in October and I, for the last two years after learning about um, magic specifically, mm -hmm. like ceremonial magic and um, hermeticism and all of these things, I've grown so much. And now I want to explore all the things that I feel like I missed out on in my twenties. So yeah. now I, I want to be like, <laughs> I want to be like half naked all the time, like outside feeling hot and like sexy, because honest to God, I never felt like that was something that was allowed growing right. up Christian. So it's, super supportive of Alex to allow me to just kind of like explore these things without me feeling like a, like a villain or like feeling like I'm disrespecting him in any sorts of ways. And I've struggled a little bit on social media with like people messaging me things that made me feel like, am I bringing this onto myself? Like why, like are people thinking that I'm like this bad girl because I want to, you know, feel hot or whatever the fuck. And it's like, no, dude, like there other people will perceive the world the way that they perceive the world. And I right. have to just kind of do my thing. And as long as I know that I'm not, you know, being disrespectful. And as long as I know that my partner doesn't feel disrespected, then I, why not have the freedom to, you know, live like right. I, my twenties were trash. Like they were so trash and it's like, we're honestly all going to age and like lose, you know, whatever we feel like our looks are. I mean, I, hopefully black really don't crack unless you smoke it, <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'm, like I said, I'm rambling. That's what I know. No, it's, 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 it's an interesting point because, um, you know, I, I grew up Catholic and then I spent a handful of years at a church of Christ church, which is, um, like strip everything fun out of Christianity. And that's what church of Christ is. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's an interesting thing, the way like our society treats sex and sexuality. Uh, I told, I was just talking to my wife the other day about this. It's like sexuality is okay if it can sell a product. Like if it's selling a burger or a car, 
or something along those lines, then we're cool with it, right? Then that's acceptable. But if it's for your own expression, then we're not. And I saw a meme, I think I shared it. I don't know if it's a real article. I tried to find the real article and I couldn't. So I'm just going to assume it's a meme. But it was, it said like, be young, hot and fun. Someone's going to villainize you anyway. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's the truth, right? Yeah. I saw another post on Twitter. It was a, a lady was asking, um, what was, I, I'm going to paraphrase this because I don't remember exactly how she phrased it, but essentially it was something along the lines of is, is showing one's body or, or, or being sexual online or, or expressing one's sexuality online. Is that, um, am I contributing to some sort of anti-feminism or something to something mm-hmm. to that increase? And my mm-hmm. response, and there was a lot of responses. And, and so my response was to me, as I was raised by my mom, do whatever you want and don't worry about what men do. Cause, cause they're, if you put something online that's revealing or whatever, whatever people want to call it. Right. And, mm-hmm. and someone acts inappropriately, they step out of line, you know, and they, they make a comment that's, that's not um, respectful. That's their issue. That has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. It's nothing to do with you. It's like it, as a, as a young man, and I've said this to, I've had this conversation with friends. Like if a woman's wearing, I'm just going to pick an example, a low cut dress or low, low coat shirt or whatever, and there's cleavage showing, you don't have to stare at it. You, <laughs> you've seen, you've probably seen breasts before. They're all over the place. Like yeah. you don't have to be lecherous. Yeah. You know, that's your choice. And it has nothing to do with the woman. Like if, if whatever you wear to feel comfortable, however you express yourself to be comfortable, whatever lifestyle you live to feel, you know, your, your, peak enjoyment that is entirely yours and what and how men react or anyone reacts for that matter because there will be women who will criticize you as well i'm sure absolutely (laughs) everyone else's opinion is just that it's their opinion it's their issue it doesn't matter it literally does not matter right you know you're what what you like you mentioned earlier the conversations that you and your partner have the the boundaries and limits that you and your partner have, which may move over time. That's natural. I'm sure you've experienced that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what matters, you know. So what some dork on the internet says has zero bearing on yeah. your own happiness. Because when I was when I was young, when I was 19, the first time I became a manager, I was managing a pizza shop, mm-hmm. and all my friends worked there, and I was now their boss, and I didn't know how to manage really. I'm like, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out. Like I'm like the I'm like the if you got time to lean, you got time to clean guy because I just don't know <laughs> what else a manager does, right? Yeah. And of course, my fans hated me because I was a jerk. And <laughs> and I remember my boss telling me, she said, "Look, I had just bought a car for my first time, right? Like my own, like a brand new car. Nice. And and um, and she said, you know, if you get fired and you can't pay your rent or you can't pay your car bill how many of these people are going to pay them for you yeah how many of these people are going to put you up right now of course some of those are my deep friends and they probably would have but the point of it is is like don't take advice from people don't take criticism from from people whose advice you wouldn't seek oh that's such i love that so much and i've i'm just now beginning to understand that like you should not you should not accept and take advice from everyone. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a way where it was like I was so naive because of my um, outlook on like the world and through that Christian lens is that I thought that you had to be like a really terrible person to do really terrible things. Mm-hmm. And I'm just now realizing that all everyone's capable of 
kind of being manipulative or not having your best interest at heart. And with the naivety that I grew up with, I'm just now breaking out and realizing, okay, if I like, if this person, like, I don't, I don't want to talk shit on anybody, but I have friends that used to give me relationship advice Mm -hmm. and they weren't in relationships and I would listen to them as if like I should. And it's like, why would, why listen to the perspective of somebody who sees things so differently than you that like they might not even be actively trying to be like malicious, but there's no way that they could understand what you're going through because they're not even in a relationship. So why talk to them about your relationship things? Yeah. And yeah, like it's, it's weird the way that works sometimes when you want to value the opinions of others just out of like respect for them. But I'm learning to understand that like you don't have to or respect should be earned and you're not being an asshole for requiring that. Like my boundaries have always been like really trash. Like I've, I have the worst boundaries and I'm still working on figuring out what boundaries mean to me, how to place them, how to respect other people's boundaries. And that doesn't, it doesn't help that I, am like a major empath. And so I'm constantly absorbing like other people's feelings and wanting to react to that rather than like focusing on, you know, creating some sort of barrier between me and that. Mm -hmm. It's almost like I like allow myself to be overwhelmed by the perspectives of other people or by uh, just by their opinions or for example, um, somebody said to me recently on uh, on social media, they were like, oh, I always forget that you're married. And I thought to myself, like, is it my fault? Like, should I should I make sure that I show Alex more on my Instagram? Do people think that I'm trying to hide that I'm married? And is this like I went down this rabbit hole of like feeling like, oh, no, this one person thinks this one thing. And now I have to like personalize it and react to it and act on it that's like no like I could have just like liked that person's message and like not responded at all like it doesn't matter if someone else perceives things a different way if there's no reason for I guess me to absorb it if that makes any sense it it does and also like you said earlier you're not you're not simply uh, your spouse's spouse Thank you. <laughs> You're not obligated to show your spouse on your social media unless that's, that's causing an issue in between the two of you, right? You're not Thank just you. like just like you're not obligated to show people what you eat. You're not <laughs> obligated to tell people. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's. I I think what has happened over time with social media is that we we both because we've chosen to treat it like it's a a, a private journal that's public. <laughs> Over time, people have perceived as though you have to share every element of your life on there. And you don't. You don't have to share anything at, that you don't want to. Right. It's like in real life, for example, in real life, it would be weird if you went to, a, I don't know, let's just say you went to a concert. Would you go and tell everyone that you're married? Right. Like that would right. be weird, right? You're not there for that. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that you don't let everyone know when some of the more intimate details of your life on a regular basis. Those are Those are for you. Yeah, and and I, and what it feels like when I hear that, and of course I don't know this person. I'm not I'm not trying to put intent into their words, but it sounds like almost a backhanded criticism 
in the way that you're presenting yourself. Absolutely. Like you're not like you're not presenting yourself as a married woman because in their perception of what a married woman looks like, you have to do this. And, I, and I've seen absolutely. Friends. It I've felt seen friends. Yeah, I, I've known friends who are like, "Oh, would you let your woman dress like that?" And I'm like, first off, I don't need to give my consent on how my lady dresses. Like, that's her right. choice. That's her choice. I'm not. I'm not. That's not the dynamic in our relationship at all. Now, again, if that is the dynamic in someone else's relationship, every relationship is different. Every, and yeah. I'm, I'm a big proponent in letting people create the boundaries of their own relationship. Some people are very conservative. Mm-hmm. Some people are polyamorous and everywhere in between. Mm-hmm. And it's all good so long as it's good within the two of you. It's not my business. And yeah. I don't have any moral judgment over that. But, but a lot of times people can't help but judge other folks and mind everyone else's business instead of their own. And yeah. And to your point about like a friend giving relationship advice when their relationship history is a mess, <laughs> misery loves company, oh. you know, and if, You're... and if, and if people are having a hard time in relationships, they want all their friends to be having a hard time because then they can mm-hmm. sit around and talk shit and, and be misandrous and all those other things together mm-hmm. as a unit versus feeling like whether facing their own role in, in the parts of their life that they're unhappy with. Yeah, I think a lot of people choose to distract themselves with other folks' lives because it's easy. It's actually like really lazy conversation. I've noticed that gossiping and talking shit are people like people are passionate about gossip. Mm -hmm. And it blows my mind because I find gossip to be the most lazy. It's the laziest form of communication. It's like if you come and I, I, Honest to God, I used to be a a social butterfly and I still feel like I want to be social, but I think this has a lot to do with my, um, my spiritual development and the way that I'm just really like, I'm really, really, really involved in like developing myself spiritually. And I'm noticing that like people want to get together so that they could talk about whoever's not there. (laughs) And it's like, that is the lamest thing. Like if we can't have some sort of intelligent conversation about things that don't have to do with like what so-and-so said, what so-and-so did, could you believe this? Also a celebrity is going through that. I'm like, yo, is this really like why we chose to spend time with each other? Like time is valuable. Mm -hmm. Time is everything. Why, why get together to waste time? (laughs) That's like, it blows my mind. It's like, I don't want to do that at all. And most people just want to sit around and, and talk shit and I, to each their own. But I feel like if, if all you do with your time is focus on what other people are doing, you're wasting your own life. And that's fine. Do whatever you want with your life. But don't come and waste my time talking about other people. That's how yeah. I feel. Yeah, and there's more interesting things in the world to discuss. And if you look at if you look around at what society presents itself, if you if you treat the world as a restaurant and and what the world presents is the menu, it's like McDonald's. It's it's pretty bland, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but in the in between the spaces, there's some really unique things that we could focus on. This is why I'm so passionate about art and, and theater and music and magic and the stars and like the enchantment of life. It's a, a, a phrase my friend coined. Mm-hmm. Because to me, that is that's the part of life that is the spark. You yes. know, if you think of this divine intelligence, 
deciding that it's going to it's going to view itself from various perspectives, various unique perspectives throughout this world and probably the universe. Right. Mm-hmm. Does does the stuff that we typically spend our time one, you know, society spends its time doing is does that seem worthy of such a of such a miracle when one thinks about it? You know, right. like, like, did God, and I know people aren't comfortable with that word, but I'm going to use it. If Does God pour itself into yours and mine and, and everyone's bodies to, to view the world so that it could talk shit about other versions of itself? <laughs> right. I mean, and, maybe, but I don't think so. And what you just said is so genius because what people talk shit about is just simply a reflection of themselves that they see in other people that they want to criticize about yeah. themselves. And once once you have the self-awareness to realize that what you hate is actually not about the person you're looking at, it's actually about something that's internal within you, then you could either choose to fix it or care for it or you know rectify it and find a place for it and integrate it within yourself. Like when I was super Christian and this actually, this it's, it's almost like a full circle conversation because growing up Christian and being, being somewhat demonized by my church, just because I grew up, uh, like I looked then the way I look now, like I am a bit curvy and that's just how it's been since I was maybe 15 years old. So Mm -hmm. Being 15 and having developed, and mind you, this church, um, it's in Los Angeles, not going to drop its name because they will sue people, (laughs) but it was mostly, uh, you know, white folks. And I love white folks. My husband's white as fuck because he's Canadian. How much whiter can you get than that? Just joking. (laughs) You could cut that out if you want. No, I'll leave it. Listen, my wife is Australian with English and German ancestry. I get it. Yeah, white people love them. (laughs) But uh, yeah, at that church, you know, I was kind of, there was this term that they would use describing me and my sisters and they would always say, oh, be careful with them. And whenever they would say, be careful, they never meant it in a way of like, uh, we were going to hurt somebody. They just would say it to the boys, like, be careful, like almost as if we, me and my sisters, we were like innately, I don't know, like these these Jezebels. Yeah. Like we were just going out of our way to make the Christian boys want to, you know, be bad Christian boys. And so I grew up feeling like I needed to wear, like I would wear like a tank top under, like I would wear literally two shirts, but this was also like in the early two thousands where that was kind of cool. Don't know why American apparel, they were like, wear two tank tops (laughs) made no sense. Um, And I would try to hide my butt and I would like, even with uh, the music video, filming it and watching it back and editing it, I kept thinking to myself, like, ah, like my butt's way too big. Like, why is it doing that? Like, what do I need to do to make it smaller? Like, it's just, or this and like, it took me so long to just kind of accept, okay, this is my body and I should love myself and I'm not doing anything wrong by simply existing. Right. But And I feel like I was going somewhere with this because I did say that this was a full circle. There we go. Full circle conversation. (laughs) So the things that I used to see, like whenever I would see a girl that felt comfortable in a two piece bikini, I would kind of look at her and be like, oh, like she, she, 
she shouldn't be wearing a two-piece bikini like it's so sexual like why would she do that like wear a one-piece like hot like you have respect for your body leave a little bit to the imagination blah 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 all this right and that's when I was young and Christian because I personally had an issue with my body Mm -hmm. so me looking at someone else and criticizing them was literally just me criticizing myself but filtering it in a way where I would just project it onto someone else as if it was actually them Mm -hmm. and it's like that's all we're doing and that's kind of like the god essence of us it's like if if god not the not the angry christian one that sits on a throne in the sky and wants us all to go to hell if we don't like him not that god but Mm -hmm. if divinity and the essence of creation poured itself into the world and created the world so that it could view itself from all these different perspectives that's what we're doing when we're looking at other people. So if we could find compassion in that and choose to love the flaws of other people, we're actually loving the flaws that are within ourselves. And we can see ourselves in them even while they're making those mistakes or while they're doing things that we may not agree with. Like you can have compassion for someone that's racist, right? You could think, oh, this person is this way because of this. And all of these factors are what created this horrible personality of theirs. But hating them would just simply be a waste of your fucking time. Yeah. And and I what I found is as I've gone along my spiritual path as well, I my my ability to empathize and understand uh, is um is really is really grown to the point where I'm very intolerant of nonsense, especially online. So like I use that my block button very liberally and people may seem like they may see what I write or what I talk about on the podcast and be like, yeah, but he blocks everyone. Like if they insult Pepsi, right? Like I, I it takes me nothing, but, so, but, but that's only because social media can be toxic. And so mm-hmm. I don't bother with folks who aren't having intelligent. I don't bother with people who are not human. If they're not being human, if they're not doing normal human interaction and like reason and logic, I could disagree with someone, and if if I could tell that they're in acting in good faith, then we can continue onward. If someone's just being a jerk or they jump to ad hom attacks, like pfft, I'm just gonna just go find someone else to have drama. It's like the gossipers, yeah. right? Like that's not my world. Yeah. But you know, I have become far more forgiving about a great or a greater variety of things that we perceive as bad. Mm-hmm. Because I try to put myself in that perspective. Like, yes, of course, racism is bad. I think we can all agree with that. Oh, I'm yeah. sure we've all been on the recipient end of it. I'm sure we've also had family members who are people of color who have mm-hmm. said some very racist things, either about <laughs> white folks or our own folks. Mm-hmm, and you grow up mm-hmm, and you grow up hearing that over and over and over again, right? And so, of course, as growing up, you know, when we think about racism and especially racism perpetuated by uh Caucasian folks like it's it's a thing that we all recognize as bad but then as I got older I started to find my own bigotry and my own bias and my own you know prejudices and I started to work through those and now I'm at the point where I I really try to stand up for any kind of prejudice and I had a conversation with someone on Twitter the other day and and they were essentially asking me, they were essentially, I mean, I don't want to put, again, I don't want to put intent in their words, but as I interpreted it, they were asking, isn't being hypercritical of, of white folks okay? And I said, no, it's, it's bigotry. It's bl- if it you blank, if you blanket anything, you know, it's bigotry. And yes, yeah. you could talk about power structures and, and historical institutions and things of that nature. And that, that all makes sense. But I always look at it this way. 
if you have a criticism and you replace white with Latino, for example, is that statement going to be racist? If it is, you probably shouldn't say it. Yeah. And I think that can be applied to a lot of different things. If you're looking at another woman's body who's wearing a two-piece bikini or whatever it may be online, and you say something, look back at what you're saying, replace it with something that you know would be wrong, and Mm -hmm. ask yourself if that statement still holds water or if it's something that probably shouldn't be said. And once we can do that, once we can start realizing that these are just people like us that are that are flawed, that have their own issues to work through, that have uh, generational bigotry built into their DNA, that have uh, insecurities built into our DNA, that have all these things, it's so hard to hate anyone because yeah. you just you just kind of feel you just get it. You like everyone is struggling to get through this very difficult thing that we call life, and we're doing the best that we can with the tools that we were given. And and you'd like to believe that tomorrow we'll be a little bit better at it than we were today and, and the next day even better. And and if if you're going on that trajectory, then give a little compassion to a mess up here or there. Give a little compassion to when we don't do things, you know, quote unquote quite you know, right, because we're all just trying to figure it out and we're all moving at our own pace. And there yeah. is largely no one way to live this life. It's absolutely with, true. With reason, right? As long as we're not harming other people, of course. Oh, yeah. Like, as, and, you know, I can say all I want. Oh, yeah, have compassion for all people, including, like, the really shitty and terrible ones. But uh, I, I also will block a person in a second. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like, obviously, we all know how toxic social media is just on its own like the the algorithms the way that like it will constantly show you like a feedback loop it's like an echo chamber you have to be very um or i've chosen to be especially mindful of what i like what i view and just kind of like trying to beat the algorithm i'm trying to stay one step ahead of it and make sure whatever i see is more so encouraging versus like super um defeating because there's a lot Mm -hmm. of really defeating stuff that you can run into online. But for example, just to touch on what you were saying, what we're both talking about as far as compassion and and seeing things from other people's viewpoints, like uh, whenever, because, you know, criticism can come from all sides, especially for women, like Mm -hmm. women, we've got it so rough because it's like, are you being a feminist are you working against feminism? Are you against the patriarchy? Are you for the patriarchy? Are you feeding into this or are you feeding into that? And for the most part, it's kind of like a balancing act. It's like you don't want to be too far left or too far right, or at least that's where I'm at in my development. I Mm -hmm. try my best to not think too hard on any one thing. Like, for instance, um, I guess, honestly, it's just balancing like the yin and the yang of life. Like you don't want to be too critical of people that suck, but you also don't want to be like apathetic and just allow people that are really horrible to like, you know, uh, you want to stand up for what's right. You want to, you know, but at the same time, it's like, when does it become too much? Like when does standing up for what's right almost blind you to the point where you're fighting this war against like the world and you are becoming, I guess, like toxic yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a really fine line. And the hardest part with 
existing in 2021 is social fucking media. Like that's the hardest part of existence. I've also talked a lot with um, my family about my cell phone specifically. I Mm -hmm. feel like cell phones are like these, and this is kind of random. So (laughs) bear with me, but I feel like they're these portals that like people have way too much access or they demand access to you and your attention at any moment. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, it's kind of like, you know, back in the the late 90s, early 2000s, you had your group of friends, you knew where they hung out, you go there, you hang out with them, and then you fucking go home. You don't have to have these conversations all day via text. People can't just hit you up at any hour of the morning, noon, night, and demand your attention. And it's like, I feel like cell phones and social media are like ruining humanity. And that's kind of a random topic, but I sincerely feel that way. No, it's because, because it makes it easy, right? It makes it easy to have access to you all the time. And we talked about it earlier, right? It, it tricks you into believing that you have to provide information that's private and personal to every person who asks. I go back to the concert analogy. If you go to a concert, do you have to like everyone there? I mean, you don't have to, you don't probably don't hate people there, but you don't right. have to like them. You don't have to talk to every single person there. Not every person at a concert has access to you. I mean, yeah. that would, think about how draining and overwhelming that would be to feel like you had to interact with, you know, a thousand people at a concert just because mm-hmm. they want to, or that you had to tell them every part of your life just because they demanded, or they have, they get the, the right to talk to you at any point in the concert, no matter what else you're doing. Like yeah. we would we would never do that, but on social media we do because it feels it the trick of it is that it feels like it's 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 two people talking and it's not. It's I'm talking to a machine and they're talking to a machine and a machine is linking the two of us. Uh-huh. But there is this extra barrier there. And there's um, a sense of entitlement. Yeah. A huge sense of entitlement that comes with um social media. And the thing about it is that we what back in what the myspace days this is the Mm -hmm. early 2000s right i loved myspace because you could get on there and you can like decorate your profile and when people come to your profile they they'll hear your song and see your little theme and you could change your theme to make it more like you and this and that and it was more like you would make friends like people choose to be your friend on myspace and then they come to you and see your stuff and then they they it it wasn't like on this feed and i feel like it's something about having that scrollable feed where it's like you have to it's almost like a stream and Mm -hmm. it's like there's all these fish in the stream and like you have to make sure or there's a lot of pressure to make sure that you're you're on there at the right time, doing the right things and not stirring up mess or else all the other fish in the school of fish are going to come and attack or maybe they won't like you or something like that. But I, I don't know. It's something about the, the, so, the age of social media that like makes me love the access that I have toward to the world and to information, but kind of hate the access that I give to my life if that makes yeah, sense. It does. And it, it speaks back to what you're talking about earlier about, you know, the pressure to, you know, are you feminist enough? Are you not feminist enough? Are you too patriarchy? Are you not patriarchy? Like what does mm-hmm. wearing this outfit mean? What, what kind of message does it share? Like uh-huh. all these pressures to present yourself in a certain way. 
And that has gotten worse over time. And I, I don't think it's truly only social media, although I do think that's a, a strong tool for it. Mm. But I think it speaks to sort of the the hopelessness of, of living under a capitalist society that has removed the institutions that used to provide us com- like true senses of community. Uh-huh. And of course, then you add in the lockdowns during the pandemic, and that has further perpetuated the atomization of people within society so that our only means of communicating and socializing is through social media and and there's no um there's no organization to it so any old person who's loud enough can (laughs) become a de facto leader or you know random person can say like just some random person can say that you're not being a feminist enough why yeah what qualifications do they have to say that they're not like a they're not like a labor leader or like a a a social activist leader who's who's (laughs) well-earned respect within the community right yeah uh, they're just some random they're just some random person who decided that today they were they were the leader of some sort of social movement yeah <laughs> and there's and there's no consensus because there's no leadership or organization you know it's not like it's martin luther king speaking right, right? It's, it's just some random person but you know what i'm saying like it could just sure. be some random person at a mall on a street on a street corner mm-hmm. telling you how you should behave and because it's being filtered through social media, we're giving value to something that we normally wouldn't. Yeah. And and you talked about earlier, uh, you've t- in a couple of different ways. We've t- and I think this relates back to your music video. You've talked about not like not being the type, you mm-hmm. know, not being, um, you know, as a as a person of color who grew up listening to goth music and an alternative and metal and punk. When traditionally you think of those things, you think of that being Caucasian music, right? Yeah. White music, even though that's ridiculous because there's a if you look at the history of all of those genres, yeah. people of color have been part of it for since the very, very beginning. Like mm-hmm. some of the, the early fathers of like goth and post punk and like punk and things of that nature have been people of color and or have been in the you know, like if you look at the clash, for example, uh-huh. their music was heavily influenced by the music that was that was produced in, in communities that were communities of color, mm-hmm. right? But when you think about it, that's not what you think about. You just don't think about that. And then conversely, um, you know, as a, as a person of color, you look at your own communities oftentimes and there's an expectation for you to like certain things. Absolutely. And if you're not necessarily into like, I'll just use myself as an example, Tejano music or whatever, Pitbull, then somehow <laughs> like somehow then you're not authentically like in my case, you know, Latino enough. And yeah. have you ever have you ever seen the movie the movie uh based on selena with jennifer lopez okay Uh there's a famous scene in there that i super relate to they're on a bus and they're going to mexico she's gonna do like her first big mexican concert and she's gotta do press and Uh selena much like myself and like a lot of third generation hispanics and latinos don't speak spanish or speak Uh very bad spanish because it was just not something that our parents taught us and so in the course of this conversation of Edgar James Olmos, who plays her father, is telling Jennifer Lopez, who's playing Selena, that we have that we're uh, how does he say it? We're not Mexican enough for the Mexicans, but we're two Mexicans for the Americans, and we have yeah. to be like the best of both of those worlds to be accepted by either. Yeah, and and I think that that paradigm can be a, associated to a lot of things. Like you're like if you want to express yourself and you want to express your sexuality and, and show off your body and be happy with it then are you being feminist enough for the feminists uh-huh. or are you, you know what I'm saying? And like, so you have to be, you have to be so much of everything for everyone that in the end, what you'll end up being is not enough for yourself. Yes. And- 100% true. 
And it's, I think at the at the end, truly, if you just lead by love, then the rest will find itself. And if people have a problem with that, then that's their own issue that they need to work through their own time. Yeah, totally. And I, it, it comes back to that compassion too. Once you're, even if I were, I had a friend or I call everybody my friend because I love everybody, but I knew a girl, I met her at a show. I was playing a gig with like uh, my old band and she bought me a drink. And I think she was just stoked on the fact that there was a girl in, in a band and she was, you know, super chill or whatever. And we, be, we began hanging out, but, uh, she was having these relationship issues with her, um, her boyfriend. They had only been together for a couple months and, um, my husband and I are really into cycling and her boyfriend was telling my husband like, Oh yeah, dude, like I'm into cycling too. We should go for a bike ride. But whenever my husband bikes, I usually bike with him because we, our work schedules are very similar. So we, you know, whenever we have free time, we do stuff together because that's mm-hmm. what people do. And so one day we all, um, we decide to go for this bike ride with, uh, this girl's boyfriend and come to find out, uh, later on, the girl was actually upset with me that I went on the bike ride with her boyfriend and my husband. She felt like I was being like a shady bitch for that. And I thought to myself, like, okay, either I could just, you know, be like, this girl sucks because she's a dumbass, or I could have compassion for her. Obviously, Mm -hmm. she's insecure and she just feels some type of way about me being, you know, so and this comes back around to not being being too much of this and not enough of that. It's like, am I I can't be too cool because then they're like, oh, like she's trying to be too cool for the guys like she wants to go skating and biking and she plays guitar and she's too cool but then if i'm not cool enough then they don't want to be my fucking friend in the first place so it's like how do you balance or i guess what i'm starting to realize is that it's not my job to balance other people's emotions or their perspectives or how they view me and how i make them feel all i can do is just understand that like that person is just going through something like i've been there i i used to be the jealous type for sure in my relationship with alex i went through a phase of being extremely jealous and insecure because my prior relationship like i there was infidelity and like there was no trust there and so I was always kind of like worried that something terrible was going to happen to me. I I had anxiety and all these things. So with me experiencing that, instead of projecting it or instead of continuing to project my insecurities onto the world and other people, I've worked on myself and I feel a lot better about myself. And now whenever I see somebody else going through something where they're projecting the same energy that I can recognize, I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm not going to absorb that. I understand what they're going through love to like there's love there but me and that girl aren't friends anymore <laughs> to yeah. say the least. and you know what that's okay like i um there's an because I, I think we've all i'm sure everyone listening including myself has gone through exactly these emotions it's very difficult because you want you want friendships and companionships and you want to build a social circle i think that's part of our normal nature as as humans but we what we put up with in order to achieve that is mm. oftentimes pretty toxic and I'm getting older and I'm now in my entering my fourth decade as a human being nice. and I have just stopped giving a fuck. I just don't care anymore. <laughs> and I, yeah. I can't, I can't say that's perfect all the time. I'm, I'm, I am a true Pisces. I'm an emotional person. I get <laughs> hurt easily traditionally, but I just stopped caring so much about trying to be everything to everyone. And there's a, 
I'll quickly say this, and then I really want to talk about your music video, but there's an old okay. Mexican parable or fable, I guess. And um, it's a it's a, a father, his son, and a donkey. And they're, they walk into town. They walk into this one town looking for work. And they're, and they're walking the donkey along with them, and the, and the son and the father are walking with it. And they get to the town. As, as they're walking through the town, they hear whispering. People saying, oh, look at that, look at that, uh, that father making his son walk when there's a donkey that he could be riding. And so they get through the town and they, they, they feel a little bad. And so this, the father puts the son on the donkey and they walk to the next town. And then when they get to the next town, they start hearing whisperings. Look at that young man making his old man father walk while he sits on the donkey. <laughs> they get through that town, they feel bad. They both get on the donkey, right? They get to the next town. They start hearing whisperings. Look at those two people making that poor donkey carry both of them. <laughs> and the point of the story is, is you will not make everyone happy all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's better to just be authentically yourself. Don't, I mean, it's hard, but don't give a fuck about what people think. And what I found is that I tend to draw people to me who are more aligned with my values when I stopped trying to attract people to me. I just find connections that I, when I'm not looking for them and the people like this person in your story that don't match my values, they, they tend to one way or another quickly find themselves exiting stage left. Yeah. And, and, and I'm okay with that. You know, I've been disappointed. I've met some people online, let's say like in the occult community, for example, who I thought were so cool. Mm -hmm. And then very quickly I found out that they weren't cool, that that their values didn't align with my values. And, um, when I express that, then I get villainized for being because because you can't just be two people who have different values and and graciously go your own path. Like there always has to be a villain in the story, right? And so that's fine. If I need to play that role for someone to make their life feel better, I will graciously accept it because it has no bearing under my life. And if you live your life authentically for yourself, you're gonna lose some people. That is an inevitability, but you will also gain people who are gonna be down for what you're down for. And in my experience, mm-hmm. at least, they're going to be the people who aren't talking about gossip. They're talking about cool shit that's exciting and like yes. expands your own mind and like, yes. like, like, a, like a conversation about uh, how much of our bodies to show. That's a nuanced conversation. It sure is. You know, but it shouldn't be led by people who are leading it with, who are speaking from places of insecurity. Right. In my and- opinion. And accusing others of doing things either wrong or maliciously or whatever the case. I honestly, I mean, and who knows, every every few years things change. Mm-hmm. So maybe for the next few years, it's like, I remember when midriffs were a thing. That yeah. makes me feel like old because I'm pretty sure there are some young folks that are like, what the fuck is a midriff? It'll come but, back. It was that area below the belly button and above the pubis, right? Barely. 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 And that was like the standard. I remember at school, there was a, like a rule in, um, and this was in middle school. There was a rule that said like no midriff showing. Like you can't have your midriff showing just because that's how many, like all the pants were cut low. I think Christina Aguilera started this trend. Who knows? But like people would like cut the Mm -hmm. belt loop part of their pants off. To get it lower. 
to make it as low as possible. And that was popular. And now what's popular might not be popular in 10 years, just like the midriff is no longer popular. So in the end, do what the fuck you want, because who cares what's popular is going to change. People are going to love or hate it, regardless of whether you love or hate it. So you just got to kind of do your own shit, not care so much. Yeah. And I think also when it comes to our body, like you can, things of our bodies, you know, can be both sexual and not sexual. And mm-hmm. it, it has less to do with the person who is ex, ex, uh, who's expressing it and more to do with the person who's receiving it. You know, like I've been, I was telling my wife once, we, we went to Vegas and I took her to Vegas for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I was telling her how some of the pools, first and foremost, what people wear to the pools these days is barely, barely covering anything anywho. Of all of all body types, all kinds of body types, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then and then how there's there's topless pools in Vegas, right? And what I said to her, what I, what I felt really unique was that when you go to a topless pool, everyone is way more chill than regular pools mm-hmm. because it's like it takes a certain level of I guess boldness to 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 want to partake in that, yeah. And also a, a level of maturity. And by yes. the way, it's not all young 25-year-olds. It's it's the whole spectrum of age and bodies and types at those places too. But there's just like a – I don't know how to describe it. It's like it's like a very laid-back environment. Like I, I've never been to like a nudist colony, but I assume it's like the same kind of thing. Like at a certain point when you step away from the restrictions uh-huh. that we place on our bodies, the further you get away from that – I don't want to say it's not a big deal, but it's kind of not a big deal. It's like, yeah, okay, breast, butt, whatever. Who cares? I have it. You have it. It's, you know. It, it takes the sexual charge out of the situation because then you just recognize, oh, this is a human person existing. And it's yeah. like, you're not, I, I feel like a lot of people, it, it's that sense of entitlement that comes with, I don't know, existing in 2021. It's like, just because you see something doesn't mean that you have, that you need to comment on it, that you need to decide whether or not you like it. As a matter of fact, I, I've been joking with my family a lot because we grew up watching all of these competition shows mm-hmm. like American Idol and right. America's Got Talent and Dance dance off whatever the fuck it's called right and i think it kind of trained the mind of like young people that were watching these shows like in the early 2000s to feel as if when we see something we have to judge it Mm, it could be yeah it's our job to judge it like we we can't just simply observe it allow it to exist no we have to judge it do we like it or do we not like it do we want that person to win or do we want them to lose we want that person to win more than we want that person to win and it's like my my husband was telling me about how there's a lot of topless beaches in Canada, mm-hmm. and he says, or I think it's mostly in uh, Vancouver because yeah, he's I, from Quebec. I was gonna say I'm more shocked that there's beaches in Canada than that they're topless. <laughs> right. So I think the fact that for one, it's Canada and it's always cold and the weather's like it's not especially sunny in Vancouver. Whenever the sun is out girls want to go and tan and they don't want tan lines. So they take everything off and there's all these topless, you know, beaches for women to go and get their tans. And when he would tell me about it, I would, I would get jealous and I'm not even there. I wasn't even there with him. And I'm like, you're just, so you're, you go there with your girlfriend and there's just boobs everywhere. And everybody's just looking at boobs. Like that's wrong. Right. And once again, I had to realize this is an internal thing. This is me feeling like, I shouldn't do that. 
I wouldn't be able to do that. That's not okay. So what they're doing is wrong and I have to judge it and this mm-hmm. isn't that. But when it's normalized, you, you take that charge out of you. You take the, uh, like, I've never been to um, a, a topless situation, but I, no, as a matter of fact, I take that back. I went to a spa with uh, a friend of mine, we went twice. Mm-hmm. And the first time I was like, oh my gosh, are you saying that everybody in there is just going to be like naked? Like, what is that about? And um, at first I was kind of giddy, like a kid, like, oh my God, I'm going to see naked people. Oh my goodness. It's so crazy. <laughs> and then after the first like 30 minutes, it was like, oh shit, we're just humans. We're like, yeah. I want a massage. Like, where's that salt scrub? Where's the Himalayan salt room? Like, let's yeah. go sweat. It like that charge is just removed from the situation and you can simply exist. Yeah. And it doesn't remove your ability to have sexual desire. Right. It just, it just uh, better defines when it's appropriate and when it's not. If you think of like fashion over the years, there was a time when when showing, uh, you know, like what uh, the mini skirt was like super controversial, uh-huh. and now it's mundane, right? Yeah. When I was when I, when I was a kid, it was like very edgy to like moon people, and now like moon butts <laughs> all the time, you know. And it and I don't think society's any less sexual than it ever was. It right. just we you know again we should teach people there's a time and a place for everything. You don't have to do you don't have to act on impulse, and uh-huh. and frankly speaking, you can appreciate a nude body without automatically leaping to like, you know, that sort of, you know, sexual aggressiveness, right? It doesn't, you can appreciate totally. it and then move on and with your life and go do whatever else you're doing with your day. Totally. I think a lot of the issue has to do with people wanting, and I don't know if it's related, but I'm going to try to kind of like make it make sense, but it's kind of like people accusing the devil and demons of everything all the time. It's like, you Mm -hmm. want something to blame. Like if you're attracted to something, you don't want to, or not, not you, of course, but like, let me try to make it make, make sense. I think that whenever a person finds themselves sexually attracted to another person, if they don't feel like they're allowed to be, they blame the person that they're attracted to for them being attracted. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, oh, like nudity is wrong because like I would be, it would just be awkward and inappropriate. And it's like, well, but we're born without clothes on. Like humans don't have to wear fucking clothes all the time. Like it's restrictive. It's uncomfortable. Like it's it kind of goes back to the thing with like 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 nipples right like Mm -hmm. dudes have nipples and they can show them online girls have nipples and they cannot show those online why i think it has a lot to do with people feeling like well that would make me attracted to it or that would make my partner attracted to it and that's not right and that's not fair so i don't like it and it shouldn't be allowed it's almost like you want to or people want to blame or mm-hmm. villainize things that they don't want to correct within themselves so that they have control. Once yeah. you have control, then you don't have to sexualize the nipples. Just let them be free. Yeah. And also look, who cares if you find it attractive? Who cares? If yeah. you're at a restaurant, I'll use another analogy. If you're at a restaurant and you're sitting at your table and you've got your meal in front of you. Okay. That's your meal. And you look over at the table next to you and they've got a juicy meal on their plate. Probably most of us, unless you're a weirdo, doesn't just stare <laughs> at the plate on the other person's table, right? Nor do we reach out and grab stuff off their plate to eat. 
There we go. We have our plate. But we can look over at a, another dish and be like, oh, you know what? Maybe next time I'll try that. Whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that as we start to become more accepting of things, we'll normalize, again, time and place and uh, when it's appropriate and when it's not. And, okay, if you see something that you, that that for a moment is arousing to you, great. Okay. And who cares? Yeah, when, move when, on. <laughs> when you, yeah. When you cross a line and you start becoming inappropriate, that's different. You know? It's, it's the restrictive nature of sexuality that makes it so polarizing mm -hmm. because I look at it kind of like a slingshot. It's like the more you pull the slingshot back, as soon as you let go, even for a second, whatever was there, that resistance is going to propel it in Pull the it. opposite direction. So it's like when you're constantly restricting or um, oppressing things about yourself, which every person is a sexual person there's no denying it mm -hmm. when you repress it eventually it's going to find its way to express itself and most likely it's going to be a polarized version of whatever it was before and that's when it becomes detrimental because extremes are usually detrimental exactly they can they get really very quickly when you're coming from a place of oppression it can come it can often manifest itself in a very toxic manner um and, and yeah. that's why i think it's so important again everyone will have their own level of comfort in terms of what they want to express and how they want to express themselves. But why I do think it's important for folks to be able to take those leaps and normalize the human body and different ways of expressing itself without being sort of scrutinized and judged. And, and it feels like in your music video, like it, like the, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, but that's, it's kind of that for you. Like you're, mm -hmm. you're like, it's, it's like a, not to overly steal the term, but it's like a coming out party of sorts. It's like a, a, a reveal of like, this is me. This is who I am. This is how I, I choose to express myself. This is how I am. Uh, I'm pushing some of my boundaries. It may, it may not be totally comfortable, but it's like, this is me. This is who I am. Like, like yeah. whether or not I fit into your paradigm or not, doesn't matter. This is who I am. It's like, I mean, because am I am I interpreting that correctly? Yes, and that makes me so happy because I've talked a lot this last month about how this this era in my life feels like a coming out of sorts. Like there's so much about myself that I'm finally allowing myself to explore, and there's liberation in that. So with the music video, I thought for one, with the lyrics those lyrics are almost dedicated to every single person that feels like they don't fit into any category of hotness. Mm -hmm. And the thing about attraction is that beauty is honestly in the eye of the beholder. And sure, there are like the the status quo or the standards for beauty, but we're, we're in 2021. So we're pushing past those boundaries. We're learning to, um, you know, accept beauty in all of its forms. And so the lyrics for me are kind of dedicated to my inner teenager too, because I always kind of felt like, well, these are the kinds of folks that I'm attracted to, but I don't think they find me attractive because I'm so different from them and this and that. And I kind of like always felt insecure to be honest and saying that admitting to yourself that you are or were insecure, it hurts a little bit. Mm -hmm. And acknowledging it made me have to like really kind of like reparent or not just reparent, but kind of like build a bridge between 
like where I am now and where I was before so that I can have compassion for the insecurities that I had so that whenever I recognize them in other people, I have compassion for them, but also so that I don't overinflate my ego and, and kind of, um, how do you say it? Like, um, overcompensating sort of way. Sure. Yeah. And in, in, in an insincere way. Yeah. And in an insincere way. So with the music video, I, there were certain parts that I took out because I felt a little too exposed, but there was one part that I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I want to put that part in there. And it's the part where I spin in the sheer dress mm-hmm. and you could see the butt cheeks. And I remember thinking to myself, especially when I was in the checkerboard outfit, there was a scene that we recorded that we ended up not using, but I was on a corner uh, in East LA and not East LA, East Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And uh, on that corner, there were cars passing by. And I felt for a second, like, yo, like people think that I'm like a hooker out here. Like, but who cares? Like I feel liberated. I'm just going to bear the butt cheeks. And I always used to feel so insecure about my body growing up Christian because I felt like it was wrong. It was like, Oh, you are naturally a Jezebel. Like you were just making these Christian boys go crazy and shame on you and put on more t-shirts and no midriff for you, Angie. And so, yeah, it was like a coming out of sorts. And I feel super proud with the end product. And I just honestly want everybody to feel the sense of liberation that I feel, especially if you grew up in an oppressive, like religious, you know, family or background or community. Absolutely. And and what about the, the album as a whole, Sandophone? Like what was the, first of all, what was the inspiration for the name of the album? And are the other tracks on it sort of related to this yeah. expression of oneself? It is. So what I, as, as a magical practitioner, I think that everything is magic. And the relationship that I had with music had gone stale for a long time because I had all of these expectations uh, when I was younger that didn't pan out. And so I assumed, okay, well, that's it for you, girl. Like you're past 30. Like, what are you talking about recording an album for? You're crazy. You're out of your mind. It's a waste of energy. But um, when I went into recording this EP, I thought to myself, let me use the tools that I have so that I can express um, like a balanced version of my my mental state. And Sandalphone comes from just the the name of Sandalphone, which is the angel of, uh, you know, of Malkuth. And uh, I thought, let me make five songs. It'll be fire, air earth, water, and spirit. And the song, I'm not your type is actually my fire song. That's like Mm. the initiatory spark that I use to kind of just get it all going. And to be honest, the main reason why I recorded it is because uh, there was a friend of mine on Instagram that was like, when's the EP coming out? Like, or when's the album coming out? Because I, I initially just recorded myself playing the song in my my uh, office Mm -hmm. because it it came to me and I felt like it was a cute song and I just wanted to record it. And I've had uh, recording equipment for a few years now that I was supposed to use when I was with my old band that I didn't use because I kind of just gave up on myself. And I've, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of um, oppressive thought that comes with being a creative person because you want to create so that other people can experience something, including yourself. But you, it's almost like you want to do it for not your fans, but it's like, it's almost like, uh, 
you don't like if you paint something, you want someone to be able to see it and receive mm -hmm. it because it's no longer just for you. It's like you create it, you birth it, you put it into the world. And I had convinced myself like, girl, nobody gives a shit. Like nobody cares about what you're doing. And which is totally fine. I don't expect for people to all of a sudden give a shit about what I'm doing. But I felt like if I could just use my magic to kind of rectify this feeling of like wanting to create and and wanting to find balance within myself, that it would be like a like almost like a, a work of magic. It would be almost like a like, like a, a talisman. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and plus, plus, uh, you know, when again, when there's that much intent and passion behind a project, and especially now as you're as you're given the opportunity to express some of the themes within it, mm -hmm. I would reckon there are people who are going to listen to that, whether or not you ever you ever get you know it it's ever gets expressed to you or otherwise, who will hear that and they'll relate to it, and maybe there are people who are in their teens, right, who are at, in the position that you were when you were being told like. Um, for the boys to be careful with you because of the way your body naturally developed. Mm -hmm. Well, listen to that music and, and it may help them get through in the same way that I'm sure your influences helped you get through some of those, those times in your life where it got a little tough or where you were maybe feeling pressure to be something that you could or could not be. Yeah. Music saved my life growing up. There was nothing that meant more to me than listening to my favorite um, CDs or the radio. It's like music was my therapist. And um, I, I used to kind of play music and like my church band, like a little bit, barely. And um, I think that kind of, because once again, I, I wasn't their type either. Like the, the church band, they would, so <laughs> It's kind of a funny story. Basically, this was a, me a mega church mm -hmm. and uh, they would invite me up on stage to tell my testimony and play guitar and sing, but only when it would basically be for like offerings for the other poor children because they had all of these outreach programs. Mm -hmm. So on these big um, conventions, like during the big conventions, they would have me come up and play and sing because they were like, look at this poor kid that we've helped out of the ghetto wow. and blah, blah, blah. But they didn't really help me out of the ghetto at all. Like they sent buses to the ghetto to pick us up and bring us to church, but they never did anything besides that. Right. And um, they would use me for these conventions, but they would never allow me to actually be like in the band. Mm -hmm. And that hurt my pride a lot because I felt like, okay, I must not be that good then. <laughs> like I'm obviously not that good. Like the only thing that I'm good at is, is being almost like a, I was like the poster child for what you, sh if you want to, to get out of the hood one day, be like this black girl, because this right. one is a little different. She's more palatable. Like she can come up here and show you guys how to be a better Christian. And, and I became like a huge evangelist for this church like uh, eventually I turned 18 I moved into the church I started working there I would um go on you know these I would basically evangelize to all the kids in the projects and the hotels and all the you know bad neighborhoods in Los Angeles where this church would have their outreach programs and it was effective because the kids saw okay she came from the same environment she's doing you know better and yada 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 but that church was full of like hypocrites and elitist and it was actually really detrimental to my um 
development as a young person because I still felt very oppressed, even though I was kind of like their pet Mm -hmm. um, in some ways. And so, so yeah, so I, I'm not sure where I was going with that. I totally lost track of what I was talking about. Well, it I'm shows. So sorry. It, it sh- no, I think you're, I think you're on. I think it shows the power of being able to influence people and to be sort of a beacon in, in that environment. It was sort of um, there seems like there was a lot of tokenism sort of being thrust upon you, yes. and and you were being sort of used as a tool for the church. Whereas now, and I would imagine your your sort of magical spiritual journey has sort of alleviated some of those chains from you and allowed you to use yourself to be your own beacon for your own uh, message instead of being at the servitude of a, a mega church or a, an institution that's that's not really living up to what it's preaching. Right. Yeah, it definitely, I think for the most part, what I recognize in myself and what I hope to be able to kind of um, harness and use in the future is the ability to help people that relate to me in any sort of way to understand that they are like powerful and they are the creators of their own realities. And it doesn't matter where you come from, what you've been through, what you've had to endure. Like you don't have to carry that shit around with you anymore. Like you can learn from it, you can grow and you can use it to either just help yourself or the people around you, or even uh, like, my biggest dream in life would just simply be to like be an example for anybody who's gone through like being poor, having, you know, um, issues like parents with drug issues and just, there's so much, uh, that happens behind the scenes that makes, how would I say this? There's a lot that happens to people in the hood that's overlooked And a lot of it is emotional. It's like an emotional abuse that kind of just like defeats your spirit. It kills your, your God essence. It kills your hope. It kills your ability to like see past your circumstances. And the only thing I ever want to do in life, like is just help people to see their potential and help people to feel better and know that like they can have whatever life they want regardless of what they've been through, like magic is so real and it's so powerful and it's like therapy that you can do for yourself. It's, it's the greatest thing ever. Well, I agree 100%. I can't think of a better way to, to go out than with that. And I think that every person that I know who's on a magical journey that I connect with seems to always find a way to express it in an artistic manner for the purposes that you're talking about, which is to show and to shine a light for folks who maybe are walking through darkness. And mm-hmm. I think that the work that you're doing already is is going to be an, a, a, a leading example for folks who, who, like you mentioned in your song, don't feel like they fit in or don't feel like they belong in the occult community because there's a certain aesthetic attached to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that you're, you're going to help them break out of that feeling and allow them to feel like they can be a part of it and, and not just be a part of it, but like, be leaders in it because I think that we mm-hmm. need leaders of, of a diverse backgrounds to speak up and to talk about the benefits of uh, be it magic or art or music or whatever, what have you, so that we can expand our understandings of the perspectives of the world. Absolutely. And, and that only comes when there's, you know, amplified voices that offer those different perspectives. And I think that everything that you've said today 
is going to resonate very deeply with folks of all sorts. And I think that your music is wonderful. It's Thank like a, a great mixture of like upbeat and very like hook oriented and like great melody. Thank and you. it's, it's, it's kind of sassy and fun. And I look forward to hearing more of your music. I look forward to seeing more of your music videos. I hope that it was a good experience for you. And I, I, I strongly believe, especially after this conversation, but even before that folks who maybe came from your background or similar type backgrounds are going to look at that and be like, finally, someone is speaking for me and someone is expressing what's in my diary in a way that, that uh, excites them to then pursue their own freedom and their own expression and their own liberation from the, the traumas that we get brought up in. Thank you so much like for everything that you just said, like it warmed my heart and I appreciate so much that you gave me the opportunity to talk about this stuff with you. And this conversation was delightful. And whenever you want to talk, just let me know and we can do this all over again. Absolutely. I would love to have you back on. So thank you so much, Angelica. I, I love this album. I've been listening to thank it you. and I uh, lo have loved this conversation. And yes, please, if you're, if you have not yet listened to Sandophone. It's on Spotify and probably other places as well, but for sure it's on Spotify. Yep. And and I urge you to go to YouTube and watch the video. I'm not your type. It's very fun. It's very uh, a good representation of everything we just talked about. And I hope that there's more to come. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good day. I want to extend a heartfelt thank you once again to Angelica for taking the time to speak with us and touching on some very personal issues for her and having a very open mind and an open conversation about things that sometimes they might seem not so much taboo, but maybe uncomfortable to talk about. Things like, you know, body image and, and, and coming to terms with our bodies as being okay as they are. Um, and, and, and topics about sort of our place in life, in society, in genres that we belong to. These are oftentimes not easy conversations to have. And I really appreciated her being so open with her experiences, you know, coming from a, a church that would, you know, bust her from a, a less fortunate area and sort of use her in sort of a token-esque way and, and how that impacted her, her you know, her musical output you know, output these days and, and what she hopes to accomplish from it. And so I, I just had an amazing time talking to her and I hope that you all enjoyed this conversation and that you, it connected to you in some way as it did with us as we were having it. And I want to just thank you all, um, for, for supporting this podcast. And I, and I urge you to support my guests' work, you know, be them books or animation, or in this case, music, the folks that I tend and I like to have on this podcast are doing their best to fill the world with something positive. And I think that independent artists in particular are worthy of our appreciation and our support because that is where we find the enchantment of life. So I want to thank you all for supporting this. I want to urge you all to supporting my guest's work and Angelica's work and checking out Sandophone. It's on Spotify. Check out her music video. I'm not your type. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. And until next time, gold rings on you all.